Your financial mission, should you choose to accept it, is to achieve financial clarity. New Intel suggests that bad financial actors are constantly filling the landscape with misinformation and other barriers and obstacles, leaving you with limited time to make the right choices for a successful financial future. To make things easier, we've chosen your team for you. Financial Commander Janine Theus will help lead you to success. As always, should you avoid the excellent guidance you're about to receive, you'll be disavowed. Also, this message will self-destruct in three seconds. Three, two, one. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Your Financial Mission. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Janine Theus. She's the CEO and founder of Theus Wealth Advisors, your financial commander here on the show, located in Columbia, serving the Howard County area and beyond. You can find her online at theuswealthadvisors.com. Janine, you ready to give us the straight skinny on what's happening in the financial world today? Absolutely. Got a few <laughs> things to talk about. You're always prepared. I don't really have to ever actually worry about that, right? <laughs> Yeah, I try to be. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's your military background. Um, that's right. You got, pri- was it prior planning prevents yeah, poor performance? It, is that or yeah, exactly? Am I butchering yeah. that statement or something? <laughs> and always like that. have a backup plan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. They've got to throw that in there as well. Well, yeah. we're going to talk a little bit about uh, kind of some things happening in the news that we've seen over the last couple of weeks, and get Janine's thoughts on how these things might affect the economy as a whole, but also then our individual you know, financial and retirement systems, uh, approaches, how do some of these macro things happening on these major levels trickle down to impact us as well. Two headlines to kind of throw your direction. The first one, Janine, was uh, a headline about the labor market. We saw that it's extremely tight. Uh, and what that means is that it seems that most people who want to work are indeed working. Do you see that that's a good sign for the economy right now? Well, it is. And so the question really is, is it actually tight by economists and how they view it? So we know after years of very weak labor markets, because uh, you've got a lot of jobless workers trying to find employment due to lack of employer demand, a lot of economists and analysts now believe the market is tight as it can sustainably be, whatever that means. So if the unemployment rate's close to 4% or are under that right now, and people don't think that that's going to get any lower or that it should. But what's really interesting, and this is my cautionary tale to everyone who reads economists' writings, they're not always right. In fact, most of the time they're wrong, which is really interesting. They do like to write a lot and opine about certain things. But in, in, here's an example So in some recent research by Alan Kruger of Princeton, he argues that fewer workers will actively search for jobs these days due in part to the opioid addiction. Hmm. So this kind of view was also articulated in the New York Times by a columnist that holds that the problem in the labor market is now one of supply, lack of available workers eager for work rather than demand for labor among employers. But here's the thing. If the current unemployment rate is indicative of a tight labor market, then why does the wage growth continue to be tepid? So you would think that the supply of potentially employable workers is tapped out when the price of labor, which is wages, if it is tapped out, then the wages should grow at an increasingly faster pace. But as the unemployment rate has declined, the wage growth has yet to break out beyond the range of about 2%. So 
one simple explanation is a tight labor market with weak wage growth is that the labor market is not actually that tight hmm. and there's still room to grow. So there are a lot of factors that play into this. And the, one of the measurements that they use is the prime labor rate, which is how many people are actually employed, how many want to be employed. If there was a job for them, would they go and become employed, which is really hard to measure. So there's some question as to, are the statistics really accurate? Yeah. How do you measure what's in somebody's heart without, with, you know, for lack of a better term? Yeah. So one of the strongest associations for wage and compensation growth is with growth is with the prime employment rate, which is the share of workers ages 25 to 54 with a job. So that's one of the measures they use. But it's real interesting that when you read through a lot of the economics, you know, blather, really, (laughs) I mean, we use the unemployment rate as the most commonly cited labor market statistic, but it is hard to actually get an accurate count if you have those situations where you have people that now the labor is available, but people either don't know or not applying or the right type of workers aren't applying. Right. I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize about the employment numbers, right, is that you could have 10 people say one week that they're unemployed, and then the next weekend it looks like unemployment went down, but really just two people didn't apply that week. They they weren't even seeking it, and so then it changes the data. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, there are any number of factors that can influence that. It's also a regional situation where you're going to find, so for instance, um, I read an article some time ago about manufacturing, the increase in manufacturing jobs that are occurring in the Midwest. Well, part of what's changing in manufacturing is you don't just have blue collar, you have more technical skills that are needed to run the manufacturing process. So if these folks aren't getting the proper education, they're not going to be ideal for those types of jobs. Mm Mm-hmm. And so you've got a completely changing market in terms of what is available and the education needed to get those jobs. So it's just very interesting. As of the third quarter of 2017, we had the prime unemployment rate at 78.7, so 79%. And the unemployment rate associated with nominal wage growth of 3%, the lowest that could reasonably be called healthy is 79%. So we're really there. In terms of having a healthy market, well, that's uh, that seems like you know definitely interesting indicators. In two thousand eight, when we saw the housing market crash, the labor market obviously took an enormous hit. Doesn't necessarily mean that you know those things are always going to be correlated, but since we're talking about recent headlines, there was one related to the housing market, and around many of the markets across the country. Home prices are skyrocketing in some areas. I mean, prices are going up like crazy due to low inventory and the like. Do you think that that's an indicator that we're on the verge of another housing crash like we saw 10 years ago? And how do these two stories kind of relate to one another? Well, it's really interesting because we've had now this is all connected to taxes, public policy, monetary policy, fiscal policy. And we've had a big change in the last year plus. So what's happening now is you have a ton of buyers chasing fewer houses. And that's what's affecting, obviously, the market in terms of what's available. So that's going to affect price. And if more people are are, are employed and can afford this housing, then you've got a crunch because builders weren't building for the early part of 
2000, between 2008, you remember the crash in 2008, and from 8 to about 12, there wasn't a lot going on in terms of new construction for many reasons. But now that's, that's opened up and we're starting to see some new construction. But the problem is, is we don't have the inventory for the, the demand. And so he, there are a lot of people who think, and this was a Barron's article that I read, that by every measure, the housing market is actually on the mend and it's not in any danger of a bubble, if you will, like we saw earlier. The single family housing starts recorded when construction on new building begins. Monthly single family starts hit a record 1.8 million in January of 2006. They plummeted to 350,000 in March of 2009 and then came in at 877,000 in January of this year. So that's up 3.7% month to month and 8% year to year. So the issue is we don't have enough homes when you really (laughs) look at you know, what's happening. And I think baby boomers really need to take a look at the fact that some of them are staying put, some of them are retiring, moving to other locales, but the millennial generation is much bigger than ours. And they were coming into play, if you will, in 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, when jobs weren't readily available. So they're a little bit behind, but now they're catching up. And, and I look around my area and go, where are they going to buy a home? Because the housing prices in our area, Howard County, now the average is probably 500000 But in the area of, of Clarksville, Fulton, the new homes are going in at seven fifty, eight hundred thousand. Yeah. And that's a... That's, that's not a, millennial territory yet for, no, for, it's for, for most normal <laughs> millennials. <laughs> it isn't because who, who wants a big house and then it's empty, you know, which I, we saw a lot way back in 2006 as well. But, you know, for by all the numbers, there's a housing recovery, if you will. And there's a pretty big demand on the houses that are existing. So um, it's very, I just had a couple in yesterday that were talking about they're going to sell their house here in this county and move to a different county because they want to retire and they don't want the cost of living that's in this county. Hmm. So they've already purchased a place in the next county over, which is used to be more rural and is now becoming a bedroom community of D.C., and, which is interesting. And they got exactly what they were looking for. And they're thrilled, which is terrific, because I'm sure they were, you know, they had to get their bid in pretty quickly, because that area has become very desirable as well. That, that happens so, so much in, uh, you know, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York area, too. People who work in the city, live in New Jersey for the, you know, easier taxes and whatnot. And then the, those who have way too high taxes in Jersey move across, uh, you know, over into Eastern Pennsylvania and different areas like that and just commute across the border every day. And, you know, they're able to get a lot more home for their money. It's interesting to see that effect, but it now plays out in, you know, in your area as well. Oh, yeah. And I think there's a, a ripple effect, if you will, because it's from D.C., which is was has always been the hottest real estate market probably in the country for the most part, and then all the way up to New York, somewhere in between, you're trying to find that perfect locale and the cross between the perfect house and the perfect commute. <laughs> yes. so, so you're not spending two hours a, you know, each way because right. that will drive you crazy after a while. And a lot of people are foregoing that. But, but it really does come down to buyers chasing a smaller inventory. The other thing that happens that a lot of people don't think about, and it depends on where you live. If you're in Portland, Oregon, that area, because of their boundary zones 
or their the city boundary policies, they won't allow the boundaries to expand. Hmm. So what you've done is constrict a market. You have kind of an artificial market in that there's no growth ability other than tearing down old homes, building the new homes. So you're artificially raising the prices because there's only so much inventory. And so your ability to buy, I, I mean, I was, that, that was something I found if, last if, year. If you want a Portland address, you're, you're going yeah. to tear down something and build something new if, if that's what you want. And here's the price, a tear down. And my, my folks live, a lot of my family lives just south of Portland. A tear down goes for about 450,000. Ooh, just a, yeah, just so, a small penny. <laughs> just a small penny. Now, Everything is relative. I, there was an article recently that I saw. This house was maybe 14, 1,500 square feet, very small, old, and it's in the L.A. area, and it went for $2 million. Oh, wow. Oh, I remember, I, I, I remember seeing that article. Did you see yeah, that? Yeah. I'm like, no wonder people are homeless over there because if you make you know, $80,000, $120,000, which is a good salary, yeah. you're living in a garage. If you're yeah. lucky, <laughs> there was a there was a great article. Since we're talking so much about news articles and whatnot, there was another good one about the rental prices. So it's not so much uh, purchase prices, but still housing related rental prices in San Francisco for like a very modest. I think it was even just a one bedroom apartment. It was something like thirty five hundred dollars a month is the <sighs> is the rent in San Francisco, and that's like as good as it gets. It only goes up from there. And so people in San yeah. Francisco are moving to Oregon and commuting from <laughs> Southern Oregon into California for work just because well, they of could get the a good, They could get a good deal in Klamath Falls, which is Southern Oregon, right, but um, right. that's a big commute. Yeah, I think there was an article about Bend, Oregon becoming a really big location for a lot of the you know Silicon Valley people who can just hop on a plane and you know fly down in an hour to you know San Francisco for work. And, and that, you know what? And that's what, and of course, you know, they're bringing all their issues to Bend because Bend, <laughs> there you go. Bend is Western Oregon. I mean, I'm sorry, Eastern Oregon used to be, you know, just this little town, if you will, of small city, yep. but, it's but gonna, nothing's it's spectacular. It's going to blow up now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's going to, it's blowing up. I was talking to somebody who told me he lived in Bend all his life and he was going to move because everybody from Texas and California were moving there. So he was too like, funny. I'm out of here. So, um, too funny. I mean, yes, you know, this country has a lot of land. It's just, where do you want to, you know, plant your roots, if right. you will. Exactly. So, so what does all this mean for individual investors, savers, people preparing for retirement? How do we kind of take in some of these headlines into our preparation for our financial future? Well, I think the economy has a lot of, in general, because of the new tax policies and, you know, re loosening restrictions and constrictions on business, you're going to see some growth. So there's a lot of room to run here over the next few years. And I think that's what you're going to see. If you're talking about retiring, I think you need to look at not just the locale, how does that area get their taxes? I mean, a lot of states will say, yeah, we don't have income tax. A lot of states don't have income, like Texas doesn't have income tax, but their sales tax is 8%, and in Maryland mm -hmm. it's 6 So you have to look at how do they get their tax, and if that's going to, how is that going to affect you? You know, is it the property tax is much higher? It depends. For instance, a lot of people are moving to Delaware, or they think they want to move to Delaware in retirement. I just read an article recently that said Delaware is one of the worst states for long-term care. So there are a number of things you need to look at 
you know, if they're important to you, like wherever I move, I got to have a pool. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I want to be close to a pool and close to an airport because <laughs> my kids are all over the country. <laughs> so, you know, you're looking for convenience items as well. Most of us aren't going to move to a 40 acre ranch in Wyoming. It sounds wonderful. I'd love to, but that's not going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, when you start to look at various areas, what look at what the what's happening with housing in that area. Are they expanding? Because it seems like everyone's expanding everywhere. That's hard to miss. I was just in Austin and I'm I'm just blown away by the traffic. It's almost as bad as it is here because everybody's moving there. You know, is it a great place to retire? Could be. Just depends on where in Austin. Right. So you really need to take a look at some of these things and just realize that, yeah, the economy's gonna economies over time are gonna like an accordion shrink, expand. Yeah. <laughs> like the squeeze box, you yep. know. But you know, where you end up, it has to make sense for what your specific needs are or what you think they're going to be. I think that's a great point. So just, I think it just underscores the importance of viewing retirement and financial planning as more than just what investments am I in. It includes discussions like this. Where are you going to put your roots down? Where are you going to make your home? And even thinking about it as in-depth as, well, I want to live close to an airport because my kids live all over the country. Like, that's an important step. And I'm always kind of just uh, blown away, Janine, that, like, these are the kinds of considerations your financial advisor should help you walk through. It shouldn't just be about what, what mutual funds are in my portfolio. It's about so much more than that. And I just think this is today's conversation is certainly a good reminder of that. If you need to have those conversations about your financial plan and about your retirement future, you've got some question marks about it doesn't have to be your investments, but more about, you know, where am I going to live in retirement? What makes the most sense for me? What's the proper way to do X, Y, and Z with our financial plan? Maybe it's an insurance question, something like that. Janine's there to help answer that question for you. 443-718-6311 is the number to call. You'll talk with Gracie when you dial in, and she'll uh, set you up on the appointment calendar to come in and have a visit with Janine. 443-718-6311. Always online as well at TheusWealthAdvisors.com. Thanks for joining Janine and I today on Your Financial Mission. We'll talk to you on the next podcast where we're going to break down his and her retirement planning. Uh, Retirement planning for couples, some of the important conversations to have, where there are often points of conflict in those discussions, and how those often get resolved. This should be a fun one, and we'll talk about it next time here on Your Financial Mission. Your Financial Mission. 